from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CRI It Figures podcast. My name is Robert Lemon. I'm one of the audit partners in the governmental practice. And we've got a good governmental topic for everyone today. We're going to be looking at common ACFA errors. You know, it's, I know it's tricky for a lot of people. Uh, there's, there's often uh, difficult requirements to comply with to get your ACFAs correct and winning those GFOA awards. So we're going to look at some of the common pitfalls. And with me today, two fantastic presenters. I'm really pleased that, that uh, these two were able to join us. Uh, first off, we've got Tina Stewart. Now, Tina uh, is a super duper smart uh, ACFA reviewer and somebody I turn to very, very often for help with, with ACFAs. So, Tina, do you want to say a couple of words and introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Tina Stewart and I am a partner with the professional services team. My specialties are governments and not for profits, as I'm kind of the technical go to for the firm. I live in Spanish Fort, Alabama, and I have looked at several ACFRs throughout my career. I'm also a GFOA reviewer, so I see several on that aspect as well. And I look forward to doing this podcast with you, Rob. Oh, thank you, Tina. We're glad to have you. And uh, with all those credentials, you're definitely a source of knowledge. And I know you're going to have some really good content to share with everyone today. So thank you for being here. And also with us is AJ Bowers. AJ, he's uh, he's one of the partners that I actually work with a lot. He's in my, my local office. So AJ, do you want to go and go ahead and introduce yourself? Thanks, Rob. My name is AJ Bowers. I'm a partner with Car Riggs. I've uh, been with the firm for about 15 years. I oversee the audit department in Albuquerque in West Texas and um, specialize in government. And I review actors for both the GFOA as well as the firm nationwide. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Rob. No, thank you. Um, so I'm going to dive straight in, actually, and, and, and get a, a put people on the spot with a few questions. So, I mean, Tina, let, let's let's just go, go through the concept of an ACFA and make sure people understand how, how does that differ just from regular financial statements? So typically the financial statements are just the basic financial statements and MD&A. However, an ACFA prevent, presents a wider variety of information. So it's going to include statements such as the transmittal letter, um, statistical section, and org chart. And it kind of gives the reader a better understanding of not only that governmental entity, but also that financial information that it's reading within the financial statements. Okay. So that, I mean, that that's obviously sounding like a little bit more work than just standard financial statements. So, you know, what, so many of these governments do it. What, what, what's, why do they, to, to put it bluntly, with it, with it's extra work? Why do they go through the extra work? So I think there's several reasons that a lot of governments do this. And I think one of the main reasons is because it does give more transparency for the reader, for the citizens of that um, government in order to see, hey, what is going on in this government? So it doesn't only, they're not just getting the financial information, they're getting the whole picture when they see this actor. And additionally, you're able to get the GFOA certification, which is a big bonus for a lot of governments as they like to show that, hey, not only did we get a clean audit report, but we also got a good standing with a, another outside entity that's saying, hey, look, your financials are reported correctly and your information's reported correctly. Got it. So obviously, 
more information for citizens, that's a big plus. Plus the certification showing you've met the quality standards as well. So you're getting more information and it's, it's, it proves it's a higher quality. So yeah, that is, a, that is obviously a good reason to go through the extra work, put in that extra information for the ACFA. But uh, excellent. Thank you for that. Well, um, I'm going to start with kind of a, a general question. I'll throw it out to both of you. And uh, we'll start with, with AJ, if you don't mind. Um, but, you know, the whole reason we're here is what are common ACFA errors? So, you know, when with all the reviews that you both do of different ACFAs, what do you think are the most common errors that you tend to see? AJ, you go first. What, what do you tend to see? Uh, thanks, Rob. Uh, I've got a few common errors that I see, but the top error that I see is the net investment and capital asset calculation. So the, that portion of the net position on the, on the statement of the net position itself, you should be able to calculate as it relates to your capital assets, your debt that's outstanding, unspent bond proceeds, et cetera. And so too often people leave off uh, reconciliation of that either within the notes or putting something and breaking out that debt or putting the unspent bond proceeds in a note disclosure somewhere to be able to calculate that. Uh, that's a pretty common error that we see. And actually the GFOA has now come and starts this month that now they're starting to require a separate schedule be submitted with the financial statements and the ACFRs for the reviewers to be able to track that back because that's a significant comment that we see uh, all over the place and that we ask our clients for it a, a lot. The other other error, uh, the other errors that I see are going to be the MD&A. I see some the missing analysis for your major funds, really. And so you're supposed to disclose all the major funds, the reasons for the significant change to the fund balances. You have to have a comment of whether or not it increased or decreased within the year and the reason for that. So you're supposed to, in the MD&A, put that reason for all of your major funds. Too often, it's not all of funds. They don't put a reason. They don't say that it increased or decreased. Also on the statement of net position, there's specifically, sometimes there's this confusion on what is unearned or what is unavailable for the deferred inflows and outflows. So you'll have really items that are unavailable that shouldn't be on there, or maybe there actually are some items uh, relates to deferred inflows that need to be uh, put in there on the statement of net position that relate to taxes. However, that should be disclosed in the notes that it meets the definitions of 63 and 65 under the GASB requirements. The other common issues relates to inflows and outflows is not reporting the bond refundings on there in the current year, the defeasance of that debt, or not breaking out the pension deferrals and the OPEB deferrals, and those all need to be reported separately. And then lastly, not including budgetary comparisons for your non-major governmental funds that have legally adopted annual budgets. All of these funds, every fund that has a legally adopted annual budget should have a budgetary comparison as part of the, the supplementary information, and those need to be in there. So a lot of times they're not, or there's one missing and they haven't disclosed that there's not a legally adopted annual budget for that, um, that fund itself. So those are the common errors that I see. You see a lot. <laughs> you, that's, that's, that was a lot of stuff. I mean, I knew that having, I, I know AJ pretty well, work with him a lot. So I, I should have known that the net investment in capital assets would be the first one you go to because I, I know personally that's a pet peeve of yours. Uh, but also I really liked what you said about the MDNA because I know under the GAS, it's GASB 34 requirements that there's about eight bullet points of what needs to be in, in the MDNA and, and, I think it even italicizes or emphasizes the word reasons for the variances in, in the GASB standard. 
and and I see similar stuff there that often those reasons are omitted from the, the description and it's such an easy one to get right in, in my opinion it's, it's so easy to to just just add an extra sentence and explain the, the numbers and it provides so much value so so I'm glad uh, glad you gave us that big list and that was that was some excellent stuff so Tina what, what about you did, did AJ take all of the common errors or do you see any extras uh, that, that you also also see no, I definitely see other errors as well. But I will say, just to kind of build upon what you were talking about with the MDNA, both you and AJ, is that I think a lot of people also don't understand the reason isn't just the mathematical equation as well. It has to be the true reason for the variance to be there. So if there's an increase, it's very evident if more revenues that the revenue number is higher. We need to say why there is more revenue. What you know, function caused this to happen. That also needs to be within that reasoning. And I think that's a common error we all see upon um, ACFRS. But with that, I've also seen a lot of um, the transmittal letters mirroring MDNA. And that's a big no-no in these um, ACFRS from the GFOA standpoint, because those transmittal letters are really just to say about the operations of the government government and what's been going on new within that government. So it's not going to mirror the financial um, MDNA explanations. It's going to be a little bit different and a broader, more perspective into how the government is doing. I've also seen a lot of lately where cash equivalents and investments are getting confused. We really need to decipher between the two because unfortunately, if you miscategorize the investments into those cash equivalents, when you go to do the cash flow statement on a proprietary fund, it'll really stand out that there's an error within your classifications. There's also some issues between reconciliations between the government-wide and the fund financials. So I think this is seen quite often where we'll see plugs in those numbers and where people don't really understand how they're reconciling these fund financials to this the government-wide financial statement. And it'll cause issues as well to pop out within these ACFRs. That's excellent. I, really, I, I didn't think there'd be uh, more options out there after AJ gives, gave such a good list, but those were some excellent ones. I, I, I like what you're saying. The transmittal letter shouldn't just be a re- replication of the MDNA. It's, it's different content. Uh, I can understand how it might be convenient for people to, to kind of copy it from one to the other. Um, but but that isn't the purpose of having duplicative information. It, sh- it should be separate and distinct and, and, and different information. Uh, and also with investments, I can really see what you're saying there. It's, it is uh, cash and investments are very different animals, uh, you know, especially with volatile investment markets or you know high high growth investment markets. Um, it, it certainly is very very different to to, to cash. So it, it certainly is important to be uh, breaking those out properly and, and clearly. So. Excellent job, Tina. I really liked those extra items you had there. So I'm going to jump back to AJ. Put 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 AJ back on the spot here and just say, so use your crystal ball, AJ. Tell me what do you think might be going on that's causing these errors? What's your what's your prediction or estimate what that could be the cause of these common ACFA errors? I think there's just so many nuances within the pronouncements themselves and the related GFO requirements. And so I think there's a little bit of just a lack of understanding uh, that goes goes into those, as well as really the opinion variations at the level of detail that needs to be disclosed. So one one client may think that they've done enough to disclose the net investment and capital assets, but another one thinks that there needs to be some more. So really, it's just a matter of what is going to provide enough detail to meet the uh, the reviewer's opinion on those uh, 
on those checklist items. So I just think that the nuances, the differences in interpretation and just how much level of detail they need to put in there. These financials are so large to begin with that all of a sudden, if you've now missed a number here or a number there that you just didn't disclose in the financials, you could just have this little small error. Yeah, no, certainly, certainly from my years of looking at financial statements and ACFAs, ACFAs are, as, as Tina was telling us earlier, a whole nother beast and, and much more, uh, there's much more going on than just uh, a regular set of financial statements. So the size of them, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Inevitably, there's a potential for errors there and uh, inconsistencies within the documents. But yeah, that, you, you mentioned something in the AJ, a checklist. And actually, I'll, I'll come to Tina. I think this might tee her up quite nicely for this next question. I was going to ask what resources are out there for, for people who are, are trying to prepare ACFAs and, and what, what, what resources are there to, to help them, you know, address these common errors and, and not make these common errors, Tina? So the GFO web, GFOA website has several different resources out there, but the main web, um, the main resource the GFOA has on their website is the GFOA checklist, which you can utilize to self-review your ACFR to make sure that it's in um, in the right standard for the GFOA award. You could also utilize your prior year GFOA review comments. And it's also a really good opportunity for you to go to your auditors. Maybe they can provide a non-attest service in order to prepare your financial statements. Or I know here at CRI, we provide constant free CPE classes that we have GASB updates, which would actually help you make this act for in compliance with everything. So I think there are several ways that we can make sure that we're able to prepare our act for correctly. Excellent. And I do believe, Tina, am I right in saying you've actually taught some of those CRI CPE sessions on, on GASB standards? Is that is that true? I absolutely have. And I believe AJ has as well. Oh. And you as well. I think all three of us have one point all together at one time as well. <laughs> yeah, mine might have been a little while ago, but uh, I, I knew you guys were, uh, were on it. Actually, Tina, I'm going to come to you with a couple of follow-up questions. I mean, that, that GFOA checklist, that must be pretty extensive, I'm assuming. It must be you know hundreds of questions. So if, if you were trying to put together an app for using that GFOA checklist, you'd want to leave yourself more than a couple of days, right? You, this thing takes a while to get through. Is that true? I do think you need to leave yourself time to do it. And I think you should actually be using it before and after you finish your ACFR. So if I was preparing my ACFR, I would make sure I, I read through it before to ensure that I'm including everything. And then after to make sure I didn't exclude anything that needed to be included. So I would kind of do it on both ends, which I would say, yes, it would definitely take a day or two to ensure that everything's included on your ACFR. So I definitely would leave time for that review. Yeah, especially if you might find things in there that, that weren't in there and you have to go and get that info and, and, and add it in. And, and another follow-up there, you mentioned GFOA prior year comments. Now, I'm thinking this is just your prior year ACFA. Some comments come from somewhere and it tells you what was good and what was bad. And, and, and is, is that what the, the, these, these look like and where do they come from and, and what, does it, what, what do they say? So when you submit an act for, for award through the GFOA, a reviewer is going to review your financials, your act for your financial statements in order to determine whether it's going to um, it's in proper performance for an award. And when they do this, they leave review comments, whether it 
they found any issues, things that were not in conformity with the act for, this is all in a list of comments. And when they find the, when they put these comments down, you get a copy of this comment with your award or with a letter saying you didn't get the award. So I would utilize these comments that you get from your um, review submission to determine what changes you potentially need to make to your um, ACFR. And I believe it's required that you respond to the comments. So you're already going to have to investigate any changes you need to make as well. Perfect. That's that's brilliant advice. So obviously, don't make the same mistake twice. If somebody's already reviewed last year's document and told you to fix these things, it's there. That's a low hanging fruit. You should easily be able to go and fix those things that you, especially if you've already re provided a response. So excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for those extra answers and clarifying that stuff. Um, I've just got a couple more questions. We'll, we'll we'll put AJ back on the spot now. Um, you know, AJ, what new GASB pronouncements do you see coming, or, or, or just changes from the GASB in general, not necessarily a pronouncement, but but what do you see coming down the pipe? that could have a big impact on, on ACFAs and pose a, pose a challenge for people who are trying to prepare an ACFA in the near future? Uh, there's a couple statements that are currently being implemented that are gonna, re that are gonna affect the ACFAs. One of them is GASB 84 as it relates to fiduciary activities and then really reporting those custodial funds. And so what that really is, is a, it's a change. It's, I shouldn't say it's a change. It's a clarification of GASB 34 and the fund classification, as well as the presentation themselves. So one of the things that I think is gonna be a challenge and that I have actually seen is with the client who early implemented 34, 84 is they did not have the proper presentations related to a combining statement for those custodial funds, for those fiduciary funds as part of the supplementary information. So ensuring that that is incorporated, I think is gonna be important as well as the proper classifications that relates to liabilities versus what is truly gonna be considered net position. So there are some presentation items of what considers a liability and the timing as it relates to custodial funds under GASB 84. So I think those are gonna be uh, a challenging. In addition to two other statements that are gonna be implemented in the next, this year and the following year is gonna be statements 87, which is for leases and 96, which is for subscription-based IT arrangements. Those are gonna require new categories of assets, liabilities, and, and different transactions to disclose, including note disclosures. And so anytime there's a change, there's a there's a possibility for, for mistake. So those are the ones that I see that are currently issued. Into the future, Gatsby's working on updating the uh, financial reporting model. So that's going to have a substantial change on it, but that's to, you know, to be continued on that one. Okay, nothing too imminent on the uh, the overhaul in general, but but uh, certainly some statements there that uh, have got some significant impacts and causing some challenges with some new information. You said it was 84, 87, and you said 93? 96. 96, I'll see. I'm glad you're, you're there in my office to keep me straight. But uh, yeah, th th those are definitely... Uh, going to have a big impact and, and I, I know at least two of those they got an extension for implementation through through the GASB 95 uh, edition that, that came out due to the pandemic so it bought people a little bit of time but I think that time's up now and that they're going to have to be implementing those standards pretty soon here but uh, I'm going to wrap up with with one final question that I'm going to throw out to both of you so Tina if you want to take a shot first at this this next question um, just just in in general you know what would be your number one top tip or top tips for any ACFA preparers just to help them with the process? Tina, what would you say? I think if this is not your first ACFA, it would definitely be applying your prior year GFOA review comments. Because too many times I've seen that 
people had comments, responded to the comments, and didn't update their subsequent financial statements. And I think, as you said earlier, that's the low-hanging fruit. And then the other would be, I would definitely utilize that GFOA checklist as a guide to walk you through preparing your ACFR and ensuring that your ACFR is fully compliant. Excellent. And AJ, what do you think? Top tips for ACFA preparers. So my tips are also going to be uh, be related to the checklist itself. So uh, there's a couple things on the checklist that I want to draw attention to is the the questions that have an asterisk. Those questions are ones that lead to significant comments. So as Tina referenced those comments that you get every year, there's two different categories. There's the categories of here's comments, and then there's the category of a significant comment, which they will state on there that says, if not corrected, could prevent you from getting the award in future years. So those asterisks correlate directly with the significant comments. So fix those ones predominantly. The second is I wouldn't do the ACFR or the checklist without the gaffer book or the blue book, which is the governmental uh, accounting, auditing, and financial reporting book that the GFOA has. The checklist has page number references to the chapters and where all of that stuff is in the gaffer. So if you've got a question of how do you prepare something, that's the place to go. And it's going to directly correlate the question to the guide of where to, to put that. So use that checklist, but know the nuances of that checklist and, and use it accordingly. Excellent tips and yet more good resources to help people uh, accurately complete their ACFAs. And, and actually, you know, my top tip would have been, like I kind of alluded to earlier, leave yourself enough time because from what I've seen from these ACFAs and the ACFA checklist, it is extensive. And, and you know, unless you're, you've got it absolutely perfect first time, there's going to be some time needed to go back and make fixes to comply with all the checklist requirements. Um, AJ, it sounds like you don't have to get a perfect score on the ACFA checklist. You know, there's some items that, you know, that you, there's there's some wiggle room. If you make one or two mistakes, you won't lose the award straight off, off one mistake. Is that true, AJ? But from my experience, you're not going to have it, be, you're not going to lose it because of one mistake here or there. The key to me is really seeing that those significant comments, you might get one or two and then just ensure they're corrected because the, 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 their comments will say, will pre may preclude you from getting the award in future years. So, you know, take their advice. Yeah, certainly for those, those, uh, those significant items, you want to get those right. And, and then to my point about time, you know, what have, leaving yourself enough time to, to do the, the a full act for and get through all the checklists and everything. Do either of you guys know what is the, the, the current rule on when it needs to be submitted, how long after a fiscal year end before the, the ACFA needs to be submitted to the GFOA to, to win the award. What was the timing on that, either of you guys? The timing is six months from fiscal year end. There are extensions that you can request. It's a one month extension. You typically can't have an extension for the same reason over and over again, but they've been pretty uh, lenient in the COVID area to ensure those have been provided. But it is in the perfect world supposed to be six months after year end. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you both so much. I, I snuck in a few extra questions towards the end there that, 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 that uh, you weren't expecting. So I appreciate you uh, doing those extra questions. But I think that wraps up what we wanted to cover today. And I think this has been really informative and really useful uh, advice on, on how best to prepare an ACFA, where it can go wrong, 
and, and all the resources out there to, uh, to to kind of keep you on the right track and, and avoid those common errors. So so thank you both again for, so much for, for all your time. Um, please, you know, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do check out the CRI website, CRICPA.com. There's a bunch of uh, different podcasts up there. It's not just governmental te- uh, topics, although there's a number of governmental specific episodes, but there's a whole range of different financial topics you can hear about. So please do check those out. And on the website, there's a governmental uh, page as well that has other information, not podcasts, but other types of useful information like articles and, and tools and resources that you can use on, on that website, CRICPA.com. So that's all we've got for now. Please tune in for another episode of the It Figures podcast. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. 